0: Music and murder contains violence, profanity, and graphic material that may not be suitable for children or people with weak stomachs. Parental advisory is
1: definitely recommended.
2: Welcome back, motherfuckers!
1: It's good to be with you on whatever day you find yourself listening to this episode on, and whatever day it is, I hope that it is a good and a prosperous one for you, because you know what? You are good enough, you are smart enough, and gosh darn it... People fucking like you. Today's episode is about a whorecore rapper. And by whorecore, I mean scary whore, not dick sucking whore, who smoked a lot of PCP, also known as Sherm and Angel Dust. And then after smoking all that, he decided to kill and eat his roommate. And this is one of the bloodiest crime scenes that I've ever talked about on the show since the Danny Rowling episodes, or maybe the Chicago Ripper crew as well. Hmm. Now he actually killed eight and covered himself in blood allegedly to save the world. So if you're alive right now, which I'm guessing that you are, you possibly may just owe him that because he did this for you. And to be honest, I think that he may possibly be innocent, but I'll let you all decide that. Now sit back and relax. I highly recommend listening to this podcast while enjoying a bubble bath, a glass of wine, shooting up a nice syringe of meth, or smoking heroin off tinfoil. With, of course, a shiny side down. And as always, thank you for spending some time with me. It means a lot. This is the story about Big Lurch. And it's a fucking doozy. Buckle up. tron singleton i want you to remember that name and tron singleton aka rapper big lurch who started out with the rapper name g spade he was born on september 15th 1976 and some sources say that it was 1973 but after some heavy digging I found out that it was definitely 1976, which would make him 45 in another month or so being that this episode is being recorded in August of 2022. The name Big Lurch was inspired by The Adams Family Show, and for any of you youngsters, you know how I always like to do this youngster shit. For any of you youngsters that don't remember that show it was about a family that lived in a museum that was haunted and all of the family members were all like monsters like frankenstein and werewolves and of course dracula's and vampires and shit right the character of the tall butler named lurch seemed to be antron's spirit animal if you will so the name stuck and rightfully so being that Big Lurch was a whopping 6'5". So it was either the NBA or a rap career. And as you will soon hear, there was an injury that Antron acquired that would have made the NBA impossible. Now, Antron, also known as Big Lurch, was born in Eastern Dallas, Texas, and he lived there most of his life until MCA Records was wanting to sign him So he then moved to Los Angeles. However, before moving to Los Angeles, Big Lurch was involved in a very horrid car accident. Now this accident occurred in September of 2000 and it literally broke his neck. And obviously, this left Lurch in a lot of pain. And yes, this is the time in the episode where I now cut out the Big and Big Lurch and simply call him lurch because like i always say syllables are stupid and i never want to have to say more than i absolutely have to so from now on i am going to refer to Antron singleton who is big lurch as simply lurch so prior to lurch's accident his dallas rap career began doing pretty well and i mean like pretty well He was actually part of a rap trio in 1998 called Cosmic Slop Shop. Yes, Cosmic Slop Shop. Which if you are a fan of this show, pretty much you know what I'm about to say next. This is one of the stupidest fucking names in the universe. Even if their music was fire, which it definitely was not, the name would have destroyed them anyway. In my opinion, The guy was an average SoundCloud rapper at best, at best. Literally nothing stood out about this this guy's rapping at all. Not his lyrics, not his voice, not anything except the fact that he was tall. But that's obviously just my opinion and not many others because a lot of people liked his music. So Lurch is doing his thing as a Dallas rapper and back then it wasn't horrorcore or violent rap yet his music was basically just standard party and hip-hop style music so Lurch has a label or two interested in him and he plans to move to Southern California like everybody else in the music industry and BAM just like that he's in a car accident that leaves him with a broken neck and in some serious chronic pain so he does the normal synthetic opiate thing and rather than graduate to morphine or heroin he decided to utilize a drug that he got familiar with when he was a teenager in Dallas. That drug, which I consider literally the most dangerous drug in the world next to fentanyl, is called sherm, also known as Dippers, Angel Dust, and of course, PCP. My first college degree was actually an associate's degree in drug counseling, so I know a lot, 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 lot about drugs, their effects, their effect on the body and human brain. And let me tell you, PCP ain't nothing to fuck with. Its effects can last a lifetime and make you do shit like eat your roommate. But now we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, aren't we? Let's stay in chronological order. So Lurch is still in Dallas recovering from his car wreck that literally broke his neck, his big ginormous fucking neck, and he's smoking PCP to help manage the pain because he's not just a rapper he's also a fucking rocket scientist right he receives an offer to move to LA and sign with MCA records now MCA is a big 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 deal right Leonard Skinnerd actually wrote a song about them signing with MCA in the 70s Hank jr. sang about it as well big label fucking huge so of course Lurch moves to LA in 2001. Now after Lurch gets there, he realizes that LA is not Dallas, and prices are quite a bit more. And being new to a record label doesn't come along with signing bonuses like it used to in the 70s and the 80s. In fact, basically you sign your life away, and you usually don't see any profit, if ever, for a long time. I mean, unless you're Taylor Swift and your daddy just pays Time Warner $2 million to sign you and you get on the radio overnight. And yeah, that is a true story. She was signed to a major record label before she even played a fucking bar. Or a show. But hey, that's the music business post-millennium. Gotta love it. Actually, you don't. Not if you're a part of it and you've watched it turn into the worst business in the fucking world, especially with COVID. Anyway, I'm getting heated. Let's take a break and enjoy a nice relaxing song that fits my new format of relaxing songs. This song isn't really super famous yet, but it is by one of the biggest and most well-known artists in the industry, which I don't usually fuck with on this show, but I really like it. And truth be told, I actually like the artist. You may have heard of this guy. His name is Harry Styles. And I have to admit that his new album is very, very cool. I was very impressed when I heard it. This is a song called Matilda, and I absolutely love the acoustic guitar. For any of you guitar players out there, you have to tune the B string down to A to play this song, or it was G down to F. I can't remember. But one of the strings have to be tuned down a full step. I taught it to one of my students the other day, and I can't remember the specifics. Anyway, I hope you like it, and always remember, if you like to get your or if you want to get your music on this show or be a guest, hit up my IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast. Again, the email that I mentioned in some of the previous episodes has been deleted due to everyone just DMing me on social media anyway. Okay, enough of that. Here is Matilda by Harry Styles. See you on the other side.
2: You are riding your bike to the sound of it's no big deal Trying to lift off the ground on those old two wheels Nothing about the way that you were treated ever seemed especially alarming till now So you tie up your hair and you smile like it's no big deal You can let it go you can throw a party full of everyone you know not invite your family cause they never showed you love You don't have to be sorry for leafing and growing up mm-hmm. Matilda, you talk of the pain like it's all alright But I know that you feel like a piece of you's dead inside You showed me a power that is strong enough to bring sun to the darkest days It's none of my business but it's just been on my mind You can let it go You can throw a party full of everyone you know Not invite your family cause they never showed you love You don't have to be sorry for leaving and growing up You can see the world following the seasons Anywhere you go You don't need a reason cause they never showed you love You don't have to be sorry for doing it on your own You're just in time, make your tea and your toast You framed all your posters and dyed your clothes You don't have to go You don't have to go home All this alone It go. you can throw a party full of everyone you know. You can start a family who will always show you love. You don't have to be sorry for doing it on your own. You can let it go. You can throw a party full of everyone you know. You can start a family who will always show you love. You don't have to be sorry, no.
1: Again, if you'd like to reach me regarding anything on this show, my IG is music murder podcast, music underscore murder underscore podcast. Now back to the story. The time frame is now 2001, and Antron Singleton, aka rapper Big Lurch, who I'm simply calling Lurch, has just moved to Los Angeles, California from Dallas, Texas, to become a rapper, superstar. And uh, he already had a record deal with MCA Records. And just a quick note, he also signed later with Black Market Records. And once he began recording in a more of a whorecore style, he later signed with a man named Milton Grimes, who owned Stress-Free Records, which was a huge, huge mistake, and we will get into that. Lurch collaborated with big names such as E-40 too Short, and Mystical. Now, just in case you're not familiar with Mystical, he's the guy who sang that song,
3: Watch Yourself, Show Me What You're Working With,
1: it is something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what the words were, but he was that guy. And I hear him every now and then when I listen to my Dirty South uh, playlist. He's always on there. And uh, he's got some pretty cool songs. Now, I'm guessing that you likely know the other two artists that I said. And if you don't, you know, you don't. Now, when Lurch moved to L.A., again, he was not yet rapping about killing people or any kind of, kind of uh, violent acts whatsoever at that time. I'd also like to point out that, in my opinion, Lurch did not have the it factor at all. And it really defies all logic how gigantic, how a gigantic average rapper with no money and a bad PCP habit could ever land a good record deal, but he did. So, enough bashing on the guy that's not my intent i'm just saying that like listening to his music it's just like wow this guy actually had like record deals and stuff i i don't get it but you know what i always say about the music business it is literally the most unfair capitalistic endeavor that was ever invented and the most shady and still i choose to make it my life so i will now shut the fuck up about it at least for the remainder of this episode but I I can't make any promises for future episodes. So Lurch moves to LA, and he finds that LA is just expensive as fuck. So like many of us in the music industry, he has to find a roommate, and he does. He finds a nice 25-year-old female roommate named Tanisha Esaias. The two met by way of a mutual friend, but I couldn't find the mutual friend's name, so I guess it's really not all that important. They they met, they decided to become roomies, and they did. Also, it's not clear if Tanisha had already acquired an appetite for smoking PCP before Lurch and her became roomies, or if Lurch actually helped her acquire that. But either way, the two, along with their gang with her gang member boyfriend, and Their entire circle of friends all enjoyed smoking this insane shit. Just really quickly, let me ask you all this. Out of the 55,000 or so people listening to this episode, how many of you actually know what PCP really actually is? And I know I say actually literally a lot, right? Or is it literally actually a lot? Either way, I say them a lot. Well, for you that are shaking your heads, no, or are too lazy to just shake your heads or too cool, and you just don't know, let me kick a little knowledge your way, because this is extremely important to this case. Now, first of all, PCP is a mind-altering drug. What this means is that it acts on your brain and your central nerve system, central nervous system to be exact, and it changes your mood, your behavior, and the way that you relate to the world around you. Scientists believe that it blocks the normal pathways of certain brain chemicals. PCP is in a class of drugs called hallucinogens. These are substances that cause hallucinations, obviously, right? Things like uh, mushrooms, LSD would be in the same class. You can actually delusionally see things that aren't there, feel things that aren't there, and think things that aren't there. PCP is also known as a disassociative drug. It causes you to feel separated from your body and surroundings. Using PCP may make you feel as though you are floating and disconnected from reality. Users also could experience joy, euphoria, or a rush, kind of like blow, and lowered inhibition, similar to being drunk, which means that you could do things like fucking suck people that you normally wouldn't fucking suck you know people you wouldn't normally take the time to spit on you may find yourself having sex with these people you can also believe that you have superhuman strength and that you aren't going to be hurt by anything now how fast you feel the effects of pcp depends on how you use it pcp is a white powder that is sometimes liquefied so it can be consumed in many many different ways when it's consumed intravenously, which means shooting it up, the effects start within two to five minutes. When it's smoked, which is usually the preferred method, the only method I've actually heard of in, in my life, the effects also begin within two to five minutes, peaking at around one to 30 minutes. And I believe from what I've experienced, it's usually about, you know, five minutes. You, you smoke it, five minutes later, you're, you're pretty fucking high. So, unlike smoking meth or crack, users never know how high they are until a little bit of time has passed, right? Sometimes the white PCP powder, (laughs) say that three times, sometimes the white PCP powder is also swallowed in pill form or mixed with food and drinks. In this scenario, PCP's effects usually start in about 30 minutes. The effects tend to peak in about 2 to 5 hours, which is pretty fucking scary. PCP is literally the only drug that I'm aware of that takes this long to peak, and that is very scary. Now, PCP can also have very unpleasant effects, right? Low to moderate doses can cause numbness throughout your entire body and loss of coordination. Large doses may cause you to be very suspicious and not trust others, kind of like meth or cocaine, which... Well, we all learned about drug-induced psychosis, you know, during the Marvin Gaye episode, which I believe was episode 11 or 12. I can't remember. Other harmful effects of PCP include increased heart rate, blood pressure, breathing rate, and body temperature. Because of the pain-killing properties of PCP, you could easily, seriously be injured and not feel anything whatsoever. Using this shit for a long time can cause memory loss, thinking problems, and problems talking clearly, such as slurring, beating your words, and stuttering. PCP can also cause mood problems, such as depression or anxiety. This can lead to suicide attempts, which is a very, very serious subject, and I'm not even going to make fun of that. A very large dose, usually from taking uh, PCP by mouth, may cause kidney failure, seizures, or death. So that is kind of an important part too. Remember that a large dose taken by the mouth may cause kidney failure, seizures, or death. Now, I know that all of that sounds like a fucking dare commercial, but this shit isn't, it's not a joke. It's nothing to fuck with. Let me mention that this shit is really cheap compared to other drugs, so it's really easy for people to score and abuse. Kind of like huffing paint or sniffing glue or shit like that. And that's one of the good things about cocaine and most opiates. They're expensive, so they're not easy to abuse all day and night. And nowadays, if you're addicted to opiates, you'll likely be dead soon because you're probably buying on the black market, and most everything on the black market these days is fentanyl. (sighs) Ah, Yeah, so... Anyway, that is everything that you need to know about PCP for now. We will get into Lurch's ordeal in just a little while, and you'll see why all of this is so relevant to this case. I didn't just, well, hopefully I didn't just waste all my time talking all that knowledgeable stuff about PCP. So on the night of Wednesday, April 10th, 2002, Lurch, his roommate, 25-year-old Tanisha Sias, and her gang member boyfriend, Thomas Moore who had a very violent reputation and like a rap sheet a mile long, and a few other friends were there as well, and they were all in Lurch in Tanisha's apartment smoking very large amounts of PCP. According to Lurch, they just kept passing him more and more and more. kind of reminds me of my partying days minus the PCP, but with other unmentionables. Hmm, the good old days. Now, in different interviews, Lurch claimed that, they, that he likely smoked more PCP that night than he had ever smoked in his entire life. Lurch began feeling, how do I say it, just basically not right. And he became paranoid and just all around too high to deal with people. So he decided to kick everyone out of his house. Well, everyone except for his roommate, Tanisha. Of course, because, unlucky for her, she lived there and obviously had no reason to leave. Or, so she thought. Now, after everyone finally left Lurch and Tanisha's apartment, which nowadays in interviews, Lurch refers to as a dope house. Even though he's talking about his own house, according to Lurch, things got really blurry and he doesn't remember much. So none of us will never, ever really know the truth of exactly what took place, or at least in what order that they took place, but some really seriously gruesome shit happened in this Los Angeles apartment around midnight, April 10th, 2002. Even for this show, we're talking about some really gruesome shit. Now, first of all, according to Lurch, His thinking process had become extremely delusional and he began thinking that he needed to kill the devil so he could save the world, which in itself isn't the biggest deal, right? However, in Lurch's mind at this time, on this night, in this little dope house apartment, while dusted out of his mind, or others call wet and stuck, Lurch began thinking that the devil who he needed to kill was living inside of his roommate Tanisha's body. Now, delusions such as these may seem like something to laugh at, but trust me, when a person experiences something such as this, their personalities, their intelligence, their common sense, and all logic just disappear immediately. There is nothing left except for what they are thinking and experiencing at that moment in time. Literally, nothing else matters. Just like a fucking Metallica song. Nothing else matters except what they are thinking in their delusional minds. In the 90s, pretty much every person that I knew was spun out on crank, which for all of you youngsters was a drug like the generic crystal meth that we have everywhere these days but it was actually good it actually got you high it didn't just keep you awake and turn you into a fucking toothless zombie it came in all colors from peanut butter crank to pink yellow and green but after using it for long periods of time it made a lot of users delusional and i witnessed this firsthand people are fucking crazy when they're on drugs You can hide it for a while, but if you're abusing a substance or even alcohol for long periods of time, you're not going to be fooling anybody. You'll just begin to be so fucked up in the head that you may think that you are. Anywho, so back to the story. Now, right around this time, Lurch was finishing up a record called It's All Bad, and he was trying his hand at horrorcore rap. Now, horrorcore is rap that is about bloody violence. Now, to be specific, bands or groups or whatever you want to call them, like NWA, say, say NWA, they came close, but they were obviously the main inventors of gangster rap. And though they rapped about killing people and shooting people and hurting people, it wasn't for the fun of just merely killing people, right? It was more about killing people for money, respect, and power. And, of course, their set or their gang. Horrorcore dives more deeply into killing because of the desire to be covered with the blood and guts of somebody. And you want to eat people and you want to rape people and you want to bathe in their blood just for the fuck of it. See the difference? Kind of like the current administration in the White House or Carol Baskin would likely be closet horrorcore rap fans. Hillary Clinton for sure. Some good, some good horrorcore bands that I like would be ICP or Insane Clown Posse. And one of their most violent songs that I like is called In My Room. And another good one would be The Ghetto Boys, which I've played on this show before. I actually played Mind, what was it, Mind of a Lunatic, which literally to me is the horrorcore song of the century. It covers mental delusions, rape, murders, and just everything society deems forbidden. And that's basically the point of horrorcore is you want to say anything and rap about anything that you possibly can to make people go, what the fuck did they just say? So it kind of becomes a competition after a while, just a bunch of people just seeing how gross that they can get. Now, Lurch seen recording artists such as these, meaning Ghetto Boys and ICP, flourishing, and he began diving into the realm of violent, serial, killerish horrorcore rap. So even though I'm not sure if what took place next in this twisted tale was officially correlated with his lyrics or new style of rap, which featured bloody and senseless violence, death and violent acts was on his mind around this time because he was literally recording songs about killing people at this time. He was writing lyrics and recording songs about killing people. Now on his record, It's All Bad which, by the way, was not released by his record label Stress-Free Records until he was sentenced and in prison. The cover is a Photoshop picture of Lurch that depicts him as a cannibal. According to Lurch, he never took the photo in this manner or any picture depicting himself as a cannibal. And on this same record that I'm talking about, It's All Bad, Lurch wrote and recorded a song titled I Did It To You which is a song where he compares himself to many serial killers, both fictional and non-fictional, as he basically talks about killing people. The record, by the way, was named very accurately because it is fucking horrible. It's literally all bad. It was meant to be horrorcore rap, but in reality it was more like horrible core rap. Ooh, I made a funny. Don't believe me, right? Okay, well, here's just one minute of the song that I mentioned called I Did It To You. I feel bad about making you hear this because it really is all bad, like the record states. So once again, here's a clip of Big Lurch in his song titled I Did It To You.
0: You know, I just killed this song, fool. Yeah, I make it dead, fool. Nothing but your murder, nigga. Uh, yeah, uh, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and all of your friends are friends to school you. Because murder's a hobby, I'm using a torture chamber. And I not am a Ruka. so if you wake up in a puddle of blood, nigga, I did it to you. Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and all of your friends are friends to school you. Because murder's a hobby, I'm using a torture chamber. And I not am a hooker, so if you wake up in a puddle of blood, nigga, I did it to you. There's a million ways to die, a million ways to kill, so I'm gonna set an example out of a motherfucker. Out my steel, 'cause I'm like a hungry lion I move in for the slaughter, killing for the simplest change. Twenty dollar bills, and even quarter. I'm like a vampire, nigga, fresh meat, I can't pass it. Walking down the street with a syringe, injecting foods with battery acid. Leaving your mama singing the blues, nigga, I'm bad news. I wipe the sink to the bottom of the ocean, where we men's shoes. When I was born a doctor twisted.
1: So obviously this song was used as evidence against lurch by the prosecution. You know what the cops say. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law, right? And that still rings true even when you're rapping it over a horrible drumbeat such as this one. Many rappers and singers have had their songs used against them in court. You gotta watch what you say. And maybe record a nice little Christian song or something to keep locked away to give your lawyer as mitigating evidence whenever you do decide to kill and eat somebody, right? And the credibility of the prosecution... It is kind of a long shot that someone would write and record a song like this about killing people and then kill and eat their roommate. So I can see why the prosecution did utilize this song and others to help convict Lurch. But as I stated in the intro, this case is not as black and white as it may seem. There are some serious problems with the evidence and other circumstances that do prove that Lurch could possibly be innocent. And we will get into all of that soon when we go over in great detail exactly what we know factually happened to Lurch's roommate, Tanisha. Okay, so Lurch and Tanisha are alone in the apartment, and they are both dusted out of their minds. And they just kicked everyone out of their house, air quote, dope house, apartment, And Lurch has experienced delusions that bring forth the thoughts of killing the devil that he believes is currently residing inside of Tanisha's body, so he can, therefore, save the world. It's kind of like that saying, you have to spend money to make money, only in this case, you have to kill people to save people. I guess it makes sense if you're on a shit ton of PCP. Okay, so that was a lot. Let's take a second and let all of that soak in while I play you a little something. This is a song off my debut solo album that was released in 2009 called Paper Doll. This is the title track from that album. And this song, to this day, helps me buy a coffee every now and then. So, if you like it, please message me on IG, music underscore murder underscore podcast, and let me know, and I'll email you a free download of it. Again... This is me, Michael D. Kenny, with a song title "Paper Doll." I hope you like it.
3: The Paper down, the paper down, the paper, down the paper down. Now you're a paper-
1: On the night of April tenth, two thousand two, right around midnight, or shortly after. 25-year-old Tanisha Sias was hit over the head with her child's walker. Her blood was found all over it, along with a bloody handprint that wasn't hers. She was then laid out on the floor, and her chest was literally ripped open by what appeared to be by human hands. Her heart and other organs were ripped completely out of her body. The worst part of this whole ordeal was that a large chunk of her left lung was ripped out of her chest cavity, and pieces of it were eaten. There was also a very deep bite mark on her face. It didn't rip her flesh off, but it was very prevalent. The next day one of Tanisha's friends came by to see her, and she found Lurch right outside the apartment by the road completely naked and screaming things that she couldn't understand at the sky. He wasn't only naked, he was also covered in Tanisha's blood. Like, literally, covered in her blood. In fact, so was the entire apartment. Blood everywhere. Tanisha's friend obviously called the police immediately, because being that this was Los Angeles... A six-foot-five man, naked and covered in blood, just screaming at the fucking sky, didn't alarm anyone else enough to call the police before that. Gotta love that place. I swear, I think you could probably kill someone and begin cutting flesh right off of them and eat them right on a main road in LA and people would just pass you by and not even give a fuck. The human race. It is a race of sorts, I suppose. So when the police arrived on the scene to the dope house apartment, Lurch was obviously combative and gave them a little run for their money. Want to see a little white cop get scared? Send him over to pick up a six foot five dude screaming at the sky and covered in blood. After Lurch was initially subdued and taken into custody, the police then entered the apartment where they found Tanisha's lifeless body lying on the living room floor with her body parts pulled out in a large gaping hole where her sternum used to be. Her ribs were literally broken and pulled open and her heart, lungs, and other internal organs were pulled out of her. When it became apparent that a good portion of her left lung had been bitten off and likely eaten. A warrant to pump Lurch's stomach was issued. He was then taken to the hospital where they pumped his stomach, and they did, in fact, find traces of Tanisha's body inside of him. So it sounds like an open and shut case, right? Well, not so fast. Lurch claimed not to remember anything and that he was set up, and he was stuck For about two weeks after his arrest. Which stuck means that he was so PCP'd out of his mind that he has no recollection of what happened for literally two fucking weeks. He was, as they say on the streets, wet. He may have a point about being set up though. Because here's the kicker. On that same night that Tanisha was killed and cannibalized... She had just left her very violent and abusive boyfriend Thomas Moore. Also, and this is a big also. The bloody handprint on the child walker, which, which is actually like a little baby buggy, did not, and I repeat, did not have Lurch's handprint on it. Also, the bite mark on Tanisha's face did not match Lurch's dental pattern there was also something else very strange Tanisha had PCP shoved down her throat as in someone had tried to kill her before ripping her entire chest open and pulling out her organs it all adds up to more questions than answers in my opinion according to everyone including Tanisha's own mother Lurch and Tanisha got along and had no problems. In fact, Tanisha's own mother thinks that Lurch is innocent and that it was her boyfriend Thomas Moore that she was trying to get away from that did all of this to her. Many other people, including Lurch himself, state the same thing. How could he be guilty and not a victim that was drugged and framed ...if it wasn't his bloody handprint on the only thing that was used as a weapon. How could he be guilty if he wasn't the one that bit her face? But, how the fuck could he be innocent if he literally had pieces of her lungs in his stomach? None of it makes sense. But I guess that when you mix a horrorcore rapper with a ton of angel dust... ...and throw in a violent boyfriend who's being broke up with and left you could have a million different scenarios that are all bad take place. Because like Lurch's record title states, it truly is all bad. Here's Tanisha's mom discussing the case.
4: As far her boyfriend, he was a gang member, I believe he the one set all this up. He was beating on her, she had all her stuff packed, ready to leave the day all this happened.
0: They got me high on
5: purpose. To
4: take advantage of me. She got hit in the back of the neck with a um one of little kids' scooters because a handprint was on the scooter, bloody handprint. But they said they didn't know who that was. But it wasn't his. It's not even no proof that I
0: actually did the murder. My prince wasn't on her weapon. It was a dope house. They didn't find no dope
4: in the dope house though. She didn't smoke the PCP. It was like somebody pulled it down, you know, the bottle was pulled down her throat. Because she had so much in her system, they said, ain't no way she could have smoked that. Footprints, fingerprints on doors, you know, bloody fingerprints, you know, shoe at the back door, you know, and it's like, where all this evidence go? It was DNA, who DNA was. They said DNA came up lost. So they made it look like he did all this work to her. It's no way he could have done that work because the way she was messed up, hatred had to been there. And like he said, he didn't hate
1: her. Now, the voice you hear in the background, of course, is Lurch himself. This was off a documentary that I pulled off the internet, but it was a credible documentary. Now, she did file a lawsuit against Lurch, both of his record labels, and even against Death Row records, believe it or not which Suge Knight at the time stated that he absolutely had nothing to do with Lurch or Tanisha's murder, and the case was later dropped, as they usually are. Lurch got sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and to this day he resides in Sacramento, California, in the Sacramento Men's Colony. And he claims that he was drugged and is innocent, and he was framed. Perhaps one day we'll know what exactly happened, and if that's true or not. But for now, all we can do is look at the factual evidence from the crime scene and say what the actual fuck really happened. I guess that's more of a question than a statement, but we can ask what the actual fuck really happened. And was Thomas Moore, Tanisha's boyfriend, ever printed to see if it was his handprint on the buggy? Was his dental impressions ever even taken to see if they matched the bite on Tanisha's face? I can't find anything stating what, that he was ever even a suspect at all in this case. I guess once you find a horrorcore rapper naked, covered in blood, and screaming at the sky with human remains in his stomach, you can just call it a day and start the trial, right? And be done with it. Oh, but one more crazy thing in this twisted tale, speaking of the trial, Lurch's lawyer was actually named Milton Grimes. And guess who he was? He was the owner of the record label that actually released It's All Bad, which depicted Lurch looking like a cannibal on the cover. The second he was convicted, the record was released. Conflict of interest, you say? Well, if so... That's not only true, but literally the understatement of the century. And with that, that wraps up episode 14 of Music and Murder, except for the really good interview with Lurch after he was imprisoned. The interview that I have on here is done by DJ Vlad in 2016. And Lurch is being recorded from the prison that he resides at in Sacramento, California. Also remember, stay the fuck off of angel dust and keep your roommate out of your mouth please share this show on social media and leave a good leave good feedback if you like it like leave a good review or something I do this for free so maybe if you have something nice to say feel free to say it and if not just keep listening until you do I'm getting better with every episode I swear it's been a pleasure it really has till next time always remember that I appreciate you and just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean that they're not out to get you, because they are. They're always out to get you. You can fucking trust me on that.
6: Okay, big lurch, what's good?
7: What it do, what it do.
6: So for the people you know that know about you, where yeah. are you at right now at the moment?
7: But well, right now, I'm at New Folsom State Prison in Sacramento, you know what I mean, on you know, some Johnny Cash-type shit walking the line, down. Right. How
6: uh, you holding up in there?
7: I mean, you know, I just got out the hole, man. You know, I had a little altercation with the police, man, behind a biography I did called Drugs Made Me Do It. You know, I didn't even know that was going to be the name, but, you know, they put it out on some Hollywood shit, and I'm a real-life human, so... The guards hit the building fucking with me. Drugs made me do it. Ooh, I smoke shorn. And the next thing you know, it was out of hand. And I had a staff assault. And <laughs> I was in the hole. You know, and, but God is good, though. You know what I mean?
6: Yeah, well, I'm h- glad you're doing well. You know, you don't have a lot of fans out there, but some of the younger fans may not know your musical history. You know, why don't you fill everyone in in terms of what you did music-wise before you got locked
7: up? Well you know what I, missed, I mean. I've been in the game my whole life. I was an underground Dallas rapper before I ever came to California and got in the game in the Bay Area. You know what I, missed, I mean. Uh, I'm from Dallas, Texas, born and raised. But I've been back and forth to the Bay my whole life. My pop stayed in Vallejo. My mom stayed in Dallas. So, you know, I come out here. I just put on my boy Mac Dre. I mean Mac Mall, my big bro. You know what I'm saying? Introduced me to Mike Mosley. We got on, you know, in a misdemeanor. He say, man, we're going to do two songs, and if they hot, then you're rolling with me. And, man, both the songs is legendary, and Mike Mosley can't do no wrong in my eyes. Mac Maul can't do no wrong in my eyes. I'm forever in debt. They seed me up. They introduced the world to me, you know what I'm saying? And uh, God bless my bros, man. Westside. high. Right now, I remember it,
6: uh, it, was a, it was a big look for you when you actually had a video called How We Come In, and I had like mystical in it and, and someone else, I think.
7: Yeah, RBL posse the big homie from Frisco, Yeah, Black that was RBL Posse. Yeah, that's the big homie. Yeah. They came out to Fairfield and me and Mike Mosley's studio and Rick Rock, man, the Cosmic Slot Shop. They was working on the I for an Eye album. You did. And I was ripping up all the time. I was a youngster, always wanting to rap for everybody, you know. And C came in there like, man, you on to something, man. Hop on this, man. I like your style. You respectful. You a young Southern kid. You know, y'all kind of different. You know, and I, you know, he blessed me, man. You know what I'm saying? And I'm forever in debt to Black C, man, West Side, you know.
6: Yeah, that was a dope song, dope video and everything.
7: Yeah, man, that was, you know, it's legendary, man, and, uh, you know, he introduced the world to me at a level to where, you know, my dreams began to come true, you know, I was just in Dallas, Texas, we didn't have no industry or nothing down there as far as you sold dope, you know what I'm saying, or you was a gangster, that's how you was a star, so, you know, they enabled my dream to come true for me to live my dream, and there's no way I can repay them, you know what I mean? So I'm loyal to this W, you know, the W the Bay Area put me on in this, you know.
6: Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. so after the RBL uh posse song came out with how we come in with Mystical, like where did your career go after that?
7: Uh well the, my big my big relative v he, he came up to the studio, it was in the middle of the east coast, west coast beefy dig and uh he had an idea for a song called Record Haters. He let me get on that.
5: Record Hitting Bitches.
7: You know, and so we was riding for this W thing, man. And, uh, you know, and after that, you know, that one went platinum. And then Ceebo came up to the studio. Well, Ceebo was locked up. And Mike Mosley had got some, some vocals like, man, you know, Bolo, like, you know, whoopty whoop, you know, you did. Uh, he got the vocals, but he don't got no hook, man. And, you know, I was like the Nate Dog of the Bay now at the time. You know, I was ripping up the, the hooks. I was like, oh, it's nothing. Five minutes, food, be bummer, they got no that they saw. And it became like a non and tally anthem simply. You dig? And uh, it was all to the races. All gas, no brakes after that, you know? So, okay. you know? And you were part of a
6: slap shop during the time, or you were solo?
7: Well, when I came to Cali, I was a solo artist. Me and Mike Mosley was working together, but Mike was real busy. He was branching out into other things, and he was putting a producer on. By the time he was new, we was all, you know, living in the studio, a cat named Rick Rock. So Rick Rock was in the studio every day. and I was working with Mike Mosley. Rick Rock was working with Dooney Baby. That was his boy from Alabama or whatever, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Mike was busy so me and Rick and Dooney ended up being in the studio all day every day. Me and Mike was working on my solo album though. I was a solo album artist. I had like six or seven songs and Mike got real busy, you know. The big C bro, he he do his thing. So me and I just wanted to rap every day so Rick would be having beats on I'll come in like fuck it, I'm gonna jump on that. And the next thing you know we had twelve, thirteen, fourteen songs. And people was hearing it, because we was the main studio hot in the Bay at the time, and, and it turned into a, a deal,
5: and, and it's
7: called the Cosmic Slop Shop, you know, but we never really was a group, and we was just all on the same label, Steady Mob and Production came and everybody got busy, so me, Rick, and Dooney was hungry, you know, and Mike You know, he was branching into other things. He wasn't in the studio all day, every day no more, you know. So we was hungry. So every day we would do other people's albums throughout the Bay, but then we would make sure we did a song every day too. And then it just turned into the Cosmic slot. We got on with M2Me Music Group out of Newark, New Jersey, and and we signed a deal with uh, MCA Records, and that was the Cosmic slot.
6: What really led up to the whole situation of where you're at right now in terms of getting arrested and uh, incarcerated?
7: Well, uh, I was in Texas, man, right after me and Mac Dre did that fire in Vallejo. And uh, my grandmother died. I had a car wreck. I broke my neck. So, So, you know, me and uh, a friend girl, R&B singer of mine at the time, And, um, I went through rehab, I was paralyzed and everything, and I I had a little, you know, hard time coping with the pain and stress. Well, a few labels took it upon themselves to act as if they was going to help me, you know, you down and out, you broke your neck, we want to nurse you back to help and help you do an album, because we know you hurting and, you know what I mean? Now the Mac Dre and all this coming out, I'm hot, but I'm hurt, and I don't know what's going on. I've been in rehab. I didn't die. I didn't been in a coma and all this. One of them was an LA label, so they like, you know, well come out here, we are gonna bridge you up, man, and you you work with Roger Troutman Jr. Roger Troutman do. So I'm like Roger, you know, I'm a real musician, so I want to work with the most talented people I can. So it wasn't a thing to where I was gonna do a, a LA album like that. It was a thing that I already had a name for myself and I, they was providing a platform where I could work with the artists that I wanted to work with so I could learn different trades with music. This is Roger Troutman Jr. I can learn some tricks from him. you know.
5: So I'm like
7: okay. I go down to LA and once I start working on the album, all of a sudden they turn into all their gangbang colors come out. You know, they're and all this in the studio. Well, hold on, dawg. Y'all knew who I was when you met me. I, I wear red, blood. You know what I'm saying? When you met me, you knew who I was, blood. And you said this was going to be professional. And now all of a sudden, I'm in the studio uncomfortable because all your crip homeboys is up in here. Now all of a sudden, y'all want to play shook night and all this. And, man, I'm I'm from the wrong hood, and I'm the wrong dude for y'all to be pushing y'all weight around. And, you know, this is supposed to be professional, and, 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 and now all this ghetto shit coming out of you, you know, it was all a facade. So I wanted out. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went back to Texas, and I caught a dope case because I'm like, damn, I got to get on and put my own music out. And I got tension with this label now because they tricked me. So I got to get my money. I go back to Texas, sell some dope. I catch a dope case. I go to jail. Well, when I get out, they help me get a lawyer. They like, look, we ain't gonna, you know what I'm saying, we don't keep it professional. So I'm a man of my word. I'm like, well, I'm gonna I'm a honor this right here and do this with y'all and finish this album. But that's it. Because I ain't all this old clippin' and all this y'all on. I ain't on that page. You know, and yeah. nigga, this bloods. <laughs> you know, y'all said y'all wasn't banging, y'all was professional. You supposed to be Milton Grimes, an attorney who did the Rodney King trial and you got Crip So I come back to LA and do the album and it's the same old shit though. So I I do the little album though and honor it so that I don't have to watch over my back all the time, but it's total tension. They start bringing a lot of Crips around, reputables. I mean, you know, I'm around, I'm in the trenches. I, I know my homeboys. So I done heard the names of all these dudes they bringing around. I know of them, you know what I mean? I'm a real one. So I'm I'm seeing they bringing these reputable G Keyways around. So I start going in my hood and getting a couple of my homeboys Gs so they can see they can't play with me like that. What's up? This baby Peabody right here. What's the business? This this Ray Dog, OG Ray Dog right here. So they done walk prison yards with my G homies because they was pushing their weight around trying to like weight shoot me, you know what I mean? And I'm like, whoa. So, all this tension and all this shit, you know what I mean, led to me, you know, running the L.A. streets and with killers and smoking ceremony with them. <laughs> because now the tension is on and everybody bringing their right. Z's around. The politic is out on the streets. And I'm getting word My that God. I'm going to be dead within a week and all this weirdo shit that I'm caught up in that I hope dudes like young Chris Brown and them don't, they need to slow down, man, because California is very
5: sophisticated.
7: <laughs> you know, they're getting politics out, and they don't even know it. They ain't been to pen and all that. They don't know who all they're dealing with, you know. And, and that uh, is. sherm sherm is a uh, is slang for PCP, right? Yeah, that's PCP, wet water, click them, you know what I'm saying? Water, Zooter Banks, like, right? So, you know, I don't get high, but one night, well, we went to the Hoodie Awards and all that, and I'm with one of my big T homies. He a legend, prison baby. You know what I mean? He smokes firm, And he's a big legend, you know, a rider. And I want to fit in. You know, I don't want to look like a punk. You know, I'm like, I didn't hit him before, but I don't get high. I don't smoke powder. I don't do nothing. I smoke weed and tobacco. I don't even drink. So I'm like, you know, he's like, you don't know nothing, man. So I'm like, fuck it. I hit the red. We all partying and shit. And I wake up, man. I don't know, they must... I had been in jail for like two weeks. (laughs) You know, it was like, what the hell? You know, my car was gone, my money was gone. They found me walking up the street naked. A dead body in the house. Now this was a dope spot, you know what I mean? I was funding a dope spot, you know, for the homies. For them looking out for me with them T-Ways. I put them up on a sack, you know what I mean? Nothing's for free in this world, you dig? You know, I ain't no square, but I underestimated the game. My my game wasn't up like that. I had never been to prison. So I was dealing with a lot of shit that was bigger than me, you know what I mean? They had more dollars than me. They had more, you know, but I had heart, you know what I'm saying? But I didn't have
5: the, the wisdom,
7: you know what I'm saying, to know how to handle the situations I was in, you know? And this California, man, people going to take you for a ride if you don't have that wisdom, you know. So I ended up getting robbed. Basically, this case, I got robbed and I got life.
5: <laughs>
7: it's a cold shit, Westside, side, twisted up, right? But I learned a lot, man. And, uh, you know, I'm not bitter or nothing. God is good. God do everything for a reason. He He's given me all this knowledge and insight. You know, you learn this game by blood, blood. sweat, and tears. Ain't nobody just going to give you the game, you know what I mean? So I've been paying my dues to get my knowledge up, and I ain't high. I'm catching it all. So I'm ready to conquer the world, you know. I've been taught by the best, you know. So homeboys got going. Go ahead. Okay.
6: So, so like, you know, the way you're describing it is you're hanging with these dudes, you got high, and then you just woke up. You said like two weeks later and just don't, didn't remember nothing about what happened.
7: Nah, I was in L.A. County Jail for like two weeks when I woke up. When I came to, because you'd be stuck. You could be walking around but not know what's going on. It's like if you get drunk and you have a fight at the club but you don't remember and everybody was like, you was tripping last night. You know, that's stuck. Like, you're unconscious but you're you're moving around and all that. Well I when I came to, out of being stuck, I had been in LA County for two weeks. I had been arraigned and everything. And guess who my lawyer was? Milton Grimes, the one that owned the label. Okay.
6: Crazy. Okay. So you you took you took some PCP, you know, you're at the the house and then two weeks later you, you get fully sobered up, you're locked up, and a girl is dead. Um from your point simply. of view, from your point of view, what what happened between those two situations?
7: Simply, simply, it's like you know, California is a place of manipulation. You know, people from out of town they don't know what they're getting themselves into when they come out here because this is the pros. You know, this is the enlightened world. And you know, I came from Texas. I wasn't born and raised in the soil. You know, so I I was blind to a lot of things. I'm caught up to speed now. I'm in prison. You know. I've been laced by the big homies all the way now. But, you know, I woke up in L.A. County Jail. Milton Grimes, my lawyer, he's the owner of the record label, you know. He got crib ties. I'm a young guy, Moo. They thought they was going to press me. They thought I was just an off-brand. But I got ties to California Hood, you know what I mean? So, you know, the Bloods. I got ties, family members and shit. So, you know, they thought they had an easy green one, you know. And I was green, but it wasn't something... They couldn't control it the way they thought they would be able to. But people say all oh, this, stop snitching and all this. Well, what's snitching when it comes to the point to where a person is so enlightened that they're a gangster and the law? He's a lawyer, so he can do deals with all the judges and everything. So my paperwork and all that shit only says what the person that twisted me up wanted it to say. Because he owned the label and he was my lawyer. And he got me signed up, so I was slowed than a motherfucker. So when I'm in court, I don't know what's going on. You got me in mental health. I'm on how, doll. And then you tell me not to take the stand and then a uh, total twist. It's like you are getting a girl drunk and then raping her and everybody having sex with her and she wakes up in the morning and she don't know what happened. You know what I mean? And it's a blueprint. People do that. You know what I mean? They know what they are doing. They just passing you the drink and looking at you and seeing, you know? So I'ma just put it like this. My case number is in the Ninth Circuit Courts. The case number is 12-55692. 12-55692. Antron Singleton versus the state of California. I'm in the Ninth Circuit trying to get home. Look up my case yourself. Now, everything only says what Milton Grimes wanted it to say. The dude that, the dude that want to take my music and get a young kid, youngster who he know naive from Texas. And he's enlightened. He's a lawyer. He's a police and a gangster. And then he got niggas with him, so if I say something, I'm snitching. How the fuck can you snitch on the police? You're so enlightened, you got all grounds covered to where everybody that fuck with you just don't be a victim to the game no matter what. Man, you got me fucked up. I'm from the East Dallas Project.
6: Well, uh, according to the reports, and I'm looking through this now, that there was DNA that was found on the scene that didn't match you or, or the victim?
7: okay now we had hit bull it was my dope spot because i was fucking with grimes man so i was getting enlightened on a whole nother level but i was fucking with my homeboys on Figaro. they wasn't as fast as me i've been in the bay i've been lay by the homies Dre and everybody they was just south central dudes so i was putting them on with a sack i had dope you know, I'm from Texas, so I had them trapped up Texas-style, you know, boarded doors, <laughs> pit bulls in the house. I had them trapped up Texas-style, you know what I mean? So it was a dog in the house and everything. Milton Grimes know I had my baby blue nose pit. He had two Dobermans. When I used to go to his house you know, on Floss and in Rolling 60 Hood, I had my pit and his Dobermans would go crazy. He'd be like, I'm right that dog over here, boy. You know, all right, almighty God Father. You know, but now I know I was just being manipulated. He ain't never gave a fuck about me. Soon as I got convicted, he stopped answering the phone. Right. And I'm stuck with right. the paperwork. I'm stuck with the paperwork of what he said what happened. He said, Lurch, we need to make it look as worse as we can so you can go to the mental hospital. You'll be out in two years. I said, man, I didn't do that shit. He said, I know what I'm doing. If you trust me, you call me your Godfather. I know what I'm doing.
6: Right. Not well The girl the, the, the that was uh, at the spot that was found dead, I mean, she was essentially eaten, I guess. Like, she had part, you know, her chest and lungs were, were eaten and, and everything else like that. She was she was really messed well, up. She,
7: well, Polka wasn't eaten. God forgive, you know, God bless her soul. But at the same time, it was teeth marks and gnaw marks on her. Now, there was a baby blue nose pit bull in that house, so where there's blood you know, little dogs chew or bite, and got a soul, yeah. God bless her soul. But it wasn't like the way people talk about it. I've been living in my flesh for 14 years on this case. They act like somebody got a knife and was slicing pieces of, like a Jerry Dahmer type of situation where somebody was just eating people. It wasn't like that, man. It was bite marks and gnaw marks on the body. Uh, the body was found. She was cut open, you know, and it was bloody in there, and it was a dog in that house. Now Milton Grimes never brought up the dog or nothing in the case. He told me we would need to make this look as worse as we can. Now I realize how closely DAs and big time lawyers and everybody work together. They made the witnesses say what they say. Derek Doc Christopher from 111th and Dumberland Bloods. They he admitted. They made me say, Lance told me to leave and I'm gonna kill you, you know. He admitted. They made me say this. But yet they still let him get on the stand and testify. And Grimes didn't even cross his enemy right, like, to try to put holes in. He was trying, he conceded. Concede means you admit this happened. To my objections, but I'm on psych meds, and this is my boss on a record label, and he done run Rodney King trials and all this. I'm not a lawyer. You know, I looked at him like he was a Johnny Cochran super genius, and he the mafia. And the d a or something, and the judge is going to see it his way because they all know each other. They play golf together or something at the golf course, you know just california
6: yeah well so so the report said that some point after the girl was killed, they found you walking around naked in the street, covered in blood, and there was pieces of human inside your stomach uh, i I how does that get all to explain?
7: Another thing is, okay, I don't know if this evidence was planted or not, but it was a minute particle, like a not even a, a, a pinch of her lung flesh allegedly pumped out of me. But when they did the DNA test, it came back as my flesh. You know, then in the courtroom, they said, well, if it's in your stomach, ask if his DNA merged with that. It was so small of a particle that they tried to say, like I say, everybody making it like it was some Jeffrey Diamond, like they pumped all this, a whole steak out of me or something. You know, it wasn't even a a pinch of flesh. So I don't know if I got humiliated and the homies was like, because... The hood is a host stroll and everything, and all the hoes was choosing me, and, you know, the Dusty Bloods hated when a fly nigga around, you know, and the freaking women wanna fuck you and everything, choosing you, will you be my daddy? So there was a lot of jealousy and shit going on, so I don't know if it was a humiliation thing when I was stuck, after she was dead, if they pushed my face in it, like, he ain't all that now, look at him, you know, or... It was a thing to where the dna the, the 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 police manufactured evidence, like I said, they ain't brought up no dogs or nothing. We had fully automatic twelve days by the door, dope on the table at all times. They didn't say they found no dope in that house. The house had been cleaned up all they found was the body. Now we out here yes. in these streets, man we out here that was a dope house. Why you didn't find the guns and the dope on the table? And the, it had been cleaned up. So keeping it all the way real, am I snitching? I don't know because everybody's a police. So can you snitch on the police? I don't know. I was the hot boy. I was the one out there getting the money, the young dude that was getting the money. And they were jealous of huh? And I'm the one doing the life sentence. And they still ain't shit. Still ain't never heard no. of these people that didn't. I don't understand on me, and I never heard him of them. So so you get
6: you get arrested. It goes to trial, and did they give you a plea bargain at all? Or the, the, oh, the no, no. Was it either me a, the life in prison or the trial, which didn't matter at that point?
7: Okay, when I went to court, they didn't offer me no deal. And okay. Rhymes in there, he didn't try to get a deal. They was talking about the okay. death penalty. And then they dropped the death penalty and gave me life without parole. After Grimes conceded to the murder, then we went to the insanity phase, and he didn't even properly present the proper evidence for the insanity phase of the trial. So when he went in there, he went on the premises that I was high on PCP. You cannot file NGI, not guilty by reason of insanity, under the pretense of just drug intoxication. So, per Penal Code, California. So you have to be secondary to a mental illness. Now, I was diagnosed as bipolar long years ago, and Milton Grimes got me out of the mental institution when I was diagnosed as bipolar twice. But when he came to trial, he didn't bring no evidence that I was bipolar. He just went in there on the sole principle that I had PCP in my system, PCP psychosis, to PCP re-intoxication. You cannot plead insanity on intoxication. You have to have a mental illness, which I have a history of, but he didn't present it. So, in the guilty phase, in the insanity phase of the trial, the judge, the DA, put in a motion to dismiss under it being under the grounds of me being on PCP and not a mental illness. And the judge ran it. And then he asked Grimes, yeah, yeah. Do you have any em- evidence that Singleton has a mental illness? No. But he got me out of mental institutions on a bipolar. He said, No. Okay, guilty. <laughs>
6: Okay, life and life so, without so you money. ended up getting, well, you ended up not getting the death penalty, but you ended up getting life in prison.
7: Life and life without. And no money, I don't know, grindstone got, got all the money or something. I ain't got no album sale money, no nothing. I don't know what's going on. I'm in here fighting all their homeboys and shit. Like. <laughs> and they homeboys as police.
6: So, so you shit. you get convicted, you get life without the possibility of parole. And you come in under a pretense of cannibalism. So what you, know, what? you know what? How 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 is someone like that treated once they get into the penal system? Of, you know in California. Every
7: police in the world want to put their hands on you. I mean, I'm so hard and scarred now that don't nobody get me. And everybody playing, and I'm the one that's bleeding and getting attacked. And they say things that endanger my life, and it's like, I'm overreacting, but I'm getting tortured to death. And they saying I'm overreacting. Well, I'm going to make you feel my pain if you keep running your bitch-ass mouth, because I'm getting hurt. I'm bleeding here, blood. And you niggas is running your bitch-ass mouth is giving the police a reason to go inside my head. Give them the police a reason to drag me up, hit me with sticks, spray me with hot sauce, pepper sprays, and all this bullshit. I mean, they just set me up everywhere I go, try to get me hit by Mexican, try to get me hit by Chris. Some Bloods go against the grain, but I got G homies that love me. And in the Bay, we on that bloody water tip, Bloods in the Bay, OG old school. So I got G homies out the Bay that holding me down in here, in G blood homies from L.A., but the youngsters, they all on dope, they crazy. Whatever they hear, they react to it and take it as truth and attack you. Do, you not, do they put not?
6: you uh? Do they put you um under like twenty three twenty three hour lockdown or anything of that sort, or do you actually allowed to go into general population and all that?
7: General population, ain't no, ain't none of that. Even if dudes is PC, they walk in the yards with everybody. I mean, this California organized crime, you can get hit anywhere, anytime. People know how to manipulate the system, send their homeboys and. I mean, you just gotta be on your game, California, man.
6: Yeah. So you're currently fighting the case right now. You're trying to get an
7: appeal. Yeah. So I'm. You know, I've been trying to. You know, release albums and all that. I got some shit already. Volume one. Lord have mercy. On um, dot Com. You know that influence come to me. You know, and then I use a little money. That I'm trying to earn to get me a paralegal or something, because ain't nobody helped me fight my case. Ain't making nobody sign no affidavits because everybody got on the stand on me. You know, I'm a lead cannibal. Don't nobody want to even have nothing to do with my case. So it's like if I'm innocent and everybody's sitting here, then I'm getting tortured. I'm Jesus then, huh? Jesus back on earth, and it just happened to be me. And I don't like being Jesus. This shit hurt. I'm nailed to the cross, man. I'm bleeding, I'm leaking, they putting thorns on my head, kicking me in the side, I'm nailed to the cross, man.
6: Okay, so what you mean to tell me is that right now you're in jail, you're doing life without the possibility of parole, and you're in there with a, a cannibal conviction. So how is it walking around in general population on the yard in a situation like that, when a lot of people are going to be upset over that?
7: I mean, it's simply like being Jesus, man. You know, I'm I'm already hanging on the cross, so everybody's just throwing thorns on my head, nailing my hands to the cross and sticking daggers in my side and watching the blood pour. But it's like, you know, I'm built for this. I'm from East Dallas, Texas, man. This is my dream as far as music and entertainment. Hate comes with it. You learn everything the hard way, so I'm learning every lesson, you know what I mean? And I'm using it to enlighten the kids through my music, man. So I don't have no complaints because obviously God got something in store for me, so I'm accepting it. I'm accepting my responsibility. I'm not running from the pain. I'm not trying to numb it with drugs. I'm
5: accepting
7: it and learning from it and teaching each one teach one teaching
6: my people, man. Now, in terms of Tanisha, the 25-year-old who got murdered, uh, what would you say to her family? Because they're probably going to be listening to this right now.
7: Well, I already said everything I had to say to her family in the arraignment. You know, God bless their soul. In my younger mind state, now all I can do is show that I'm sincere. You dig? So, you know, I'm enlightening through my music. You know, so if her kids listen to me and need a father figure, you know, they're hearing me tell the scenarios of how guys get women, young girls drunk or slip, you know, cocaine in their weed and, and then turn them into prostitutes or the homies get their the son high on wet, you know, on and give him a gun and he do a drive-by and wake up in jail with a life sentence and don't even know what happened, you know. So if they need knowledge or anything, you know, I'm giving it to them, leading by example, each one teach one, you know. So all I can do is show and prove now, and if they ever need me, any advice, anything that happened in life, I, the door is open. I ain't never going to shut that door, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm totally, you know, it's, it's no words to say. It's just actually speak louder than words. I'm here for them, whether they like me. I don't have no money, but the better position I get and the more I learn, the more money I'll be able to make, the more opportunities to come, I will be helping their family as much as I can. That's the type of man I am. I grew up in East Dallas in Oak Cliff, Texas, and that's how we get down in the third and, third. and now I'm a Southwest cowboy, a California, Texas boy. So I got this California enlightenment, and hopefully in the future, man, you know, I like can help her children and family make all their dreams come true. And not a show what I, how I feel. You know? Yeah.
6: I mean, so you feel that you were set up for this whole situation, that you, the, the legal system was manipulated and now you have life in prison and the person who actually did the murder is out walking free right now.
7: I'm not going to say they're walking free. Maybe they is, maybe they ain't. I don't know. <laughs> I ain't no snitch. We handle everything as best as we can. Other people snitches, of course. I'm in jail. But I'm going to speak to the G code. I got to halfway enlightened people. I'm going to just sit up and get killed without fighting back, right? I mean, it's a foul game. People is totally enlightened. They know what they're doing. So all the people inside know what they did. You know, if one of my homeboys, real homies, want to know what's up with some real bloods that got my back, that grew up listening to my music, want to know, get at the big homie. Lord, lucky Larry Lane, right here. I ain't hard to find. Bring your big bad ass to California. If you're going to be a spectator, then you ain't even welcome in the arena. Sit your bitch ass out there and spectate carpooling with the barbecue pit in the parking lot.
5: Because it's real in the battlefield.
6: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you calling in and and telling your story. And I think uh, a lot of people are going to listen to this and uh, they're going to definitely learn a lot of things about hanging out with the wrong people and Mm -hmm. playing around with drugs and all that kind of stuff that might be uh, glorified in the music they listen to, but they actually get to hear the story and see what the other side of it is, you know. Man, drugs
7: is bullshit, all 'all, y'all youngsters out, fuck drugs, you are lame, you're getting manipulated on dope, never do drugs, man, stay on your game, read a fucking book or something, and for Big Lurge, man, we don't have no fans, man, fans blow like the wind, either you believe in me or you don't, I'm getting my knowledge up, if you a believer, you a orangutan, hashtag orangutan, right, so... Check out Big Lurch Music, Already Volume 1 on cdbaby.com and Lord Have Mercy on cdbaby.com. And we've got a lot more to come. I'm writing books, I'm writing music. If you're a book publisher or whatever and you want to negotiate a deal, you know I'm one of the best writers. and got write one of the best minds in the world. I'm open for business. 3XL Entertainment. Holler at your boy. If you got bad intentions, please stay away from me. I don't need no distractions. I'm trying to be the best that ever did it. Don't distract me. Get on the right side of history. I'm I'm somebody you can believe in. I ain't never going to let you down. I got a few books to read, brother. So we got to end this little conversation. I got a couple books to read, some law to study. But uh, I appreciate you, man, and that Bay Area love you're getting with me. And if I make it yeah. out of prison, I'm I'm your main boy. I'm, we all from the West Coast, man. West Side, California love, baby.
6: That's what it is. Well, much, I appreciate you calling it.
7: Hey, man,
5: I appreciate that too, man. All right, man. Take care. Simply, simply.